Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. On Good Authority has had over a million downloads, regularly appears on the top 100 career podcast list, and has been named one of the best publishing podcasts by LA Weekly and Kindlepreneur. Please welcome OG Authority host, New York Times bestselling author, Anna David. There are people who launch books, end up just having a nice thing to put on their shelves. Then there are people who launch books that transform their careers and their lives. As a former member of the first group, I strongly urge you to be part of the second. In this show, I talk to entrepreneurs and authors about how to intentionally launch the book that will serve as the best business card and marketing tool you've ever had. Get ready for takeoff. Hi, and welcome to the podcast that doesn't believe your first name needs to be Glennon and your last name needs to be Doyle for you to have a wonderful career as a writer. That also doesn't believe your name, your first name needs to be Rachel and your last name needs to be Hollis or Tim and Ferris or James and Claire. I could go on and on and on. Um, It's a podcast that believes that anybody who's a talented writer or a successful entrepreneur can strategically come up with the book uh, and launch it in a way that will make them the authority in their field. I get all into that in my book on good authority. You can get links to that as well as the show notes for this episode by going to ongoodauthoritypod.com. Now, it's also a podcast that believes in second chances which is very relevant for this episode, which is a re-release of a previous episode. It is with a wonderful man named Craig Stanland. Now, Craig is somebody who uh, had the FBI come knocking on his door and uh, spent two years in prison where he came, where he started writing his book, Blank Canvas, uh, after which he raised money uh, to, in order to to have it published. And now he's working on his second book. And he talks all about what that experience was like, as well as what was the big mistake he made that he will not make on this second book. Um, he's a wonderful guy. I think you'll love our conversation. I think you'll love his book um, and the forthcoming book. So now I give you Craig Stanland. I'm so excited you're here, Craig. I am so excited to be here as well, Anna. I have, like I love the work that you do and to be able to talk to you now and have this conversation we're going to have on site. Which from our first email, I'm like, how do I not know this guy already? But I guess that's the point is you meet people. (laughs) You don't know anyone already and you meet them. Um, But there's so much kind of crossover. And um, I just love the work of yours that I've seen. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We're going to get super into actionable advice, but you have such an interesting story that despite the one-star review I got today saying this podcast does not include enough actionable advice, I'm defying that and I'm delving into your story. Please, let's tell listeners what your memoir is about. So 
let's uh, let's jump into our time machine, DeLorean, and go back to September 30th, 2013. Yep. On September 30th, 2013, I had what everybody would say was it all. I had a successful career. I owned four homes. I drove all the fancy cars. I wore five-figure watches. I was married. I had VIP status at all the best restaurants in Greenwich, Connecticut. I had it all. On October 1st, 2013, I walk into my brand new job. Our biggest competitor wooed me away with a big pay package. I'm two weeks into the job. I don't know anybody there. Um, I, I take the elevator up 37 floors to my midtown uh, Manhattan office. I'm setting up my desk for the day. I put the laptop down, put the notebook down, and I put my phone down. And there is a missed call and a voicemail. And so I said, who's calling me at 8.45 in the morning on a Tuesday? That's so random. So I put the phone in my ear, and this is what I hear. Mr. Stanlin, this is Special Agent McTiernan with the FBI. We are at your residence and have a warrant for your arrest. You need to call us and come home immediately, or we will issue a warrant with the federal marshals. October 1st, 2013 is the day I lost it all. And that is how my memoir starts. What were you doing that caused the FBI to make this call? I committed fraud against one of the largest technology companies in the world for just under a year. I, I understood our partner company's warranty policy inside and out, and I exploited it for my financial gain. Basically, you can't, you can't say the company. I was, say- it was it was Cisco Systems. Okay, and so you discover this way to commit fraud. And I'm as somebody who's obsessed and you are not this. I'm obsessed with con artist podcasts right now. I can't get enough of it. Um, I had somebody commit fraud to me and I want to write a book about about this. What was going through your head? Is this something that you had done something like this before? What was it? I had never done anything like this before. And I'll tell you what was happening was I got so caught up in the lifestyle. I got so caught up in the cars and the money and the watches and, you know, whining and dining and doing all of these things. The products that I was selling were becoming more and more commoditized. So my margins were shrinking. Mm. So my paychecks were shrinking. And because I was so caught up in that lifestyle, I'm going out with my now ex-wife. We're going out for lunch on a Wednesday, having champagne lunches, dropping 500 bucks. I'm getting smashed on a Wednesday. And noon when I should be servicing my clients, when I should be taking care of business. So my paychecks start shrinking. So now my identity, because it had become so inextricably interwoven with my things and my ability to purchase those things, I had a serious problem and I had to fix it and I had to fix it ASAP. So I start thinking about like, what do I know? What do I know better than anybody else? Well, I know their warranty policy. And I, so I started putting everything together. I looked like um, Robert Nash in A Beautiful Mind. Yeah. I posted notes everywhere. And, you know, I mean, I look like a lunatic. It took months of putting it together. And then finally, one day, I'm sitting at my dining room table in front of my laptop. And I go, it can work. All the puzzle pieces, all the tumblers came together. And I'm like, this thing can really, it can work. So I, I hovered the cursor over the send button before I was going to commit the fraud. And my heart spoke and it said, stop, don't do this. This is not the way. Yeah. And I was too scared to be honest with myself, with my wife at the time and say, I can't afford our lifestyle. I had discovered this treasure map that nobody else knew about. And I clicked send. And that's how it all kicked off. And it, and it happened for a year. Exactly. 10 and a half months. 
And did you think you were going to get busted? There were so many red flags that I blatantly ignored. Like I just, I mean, the universe was, you know, sometimes the universe speaks with a whisper. Sometimes it speaks with a sledgehammer. It was throwing sledgehammers at me and I just kept on ignoring them. I just plowed forward with reckless abandon. So that day, did you go, did that voice that spoke to you the first time go, we knew this was coming? So what a, what a great, insightful question. So when I got that voicemail, it was like all the oxygen in the room vanished. My stomach and heart like literally fell the 37 floors I had just gone up. And amid all that inner turmoil, that voice spoke and said, I told you so. I told you so. Uh, so how long did you go away for? Two years. I was sentenced to 24 months. I ended up doing 21 because, you know, you have good time in the federal system. So I got three months off. Uh, you emer- uh, now we're going to transition to you, the author. Uh, were you like, well, this will be a great book. Did you think that? No, not at all. I'll tell you, I was because I knew what I was doing was wrong because I destroyed my life that I did so much damage to my ex-wife and my family. Um, I, I was so consumed by shame. I actually started to plan how I was going to kill myself. And you can't talk about suicide in prison. You know, they lock you in solitary if you mention suicide. So I was so afraid of being locked in solitary. So I, I needed an outlet, pen and paper. You know, I had one of those black and white composition notebooks. Remember those from oh, school? Yeah. Yeah. I got them from commissary. I still use them to journal to this day. Yeah. But I just, I just started writing. And that and something else actually helped save my life. What's this something else? That was my friend coming to visit me in prison and showing me that I had worth outside of all the things that I had thought made me worthy. Mm. And so you start writing and did that, that was the beginning of the book? The beginning of the book, it had uh, not the most auspicious, auspicious of beginnings in the Otisville Federal Prison Library, but that's, that's where it started. So when I, when I sat down and said, I got to get this thing like out of me, I had this just this compulsion I wrote 186 handwritten pages over the course of three days. Right, right, right. I believe that. Pure, pure crap. <laughs> you know, just the ramblings of a lunatic. But I got it out. And that's actually when I looked at it and said, you know, I, I, think, I think this could help somebody. And I, I really have to give meaning to the suffering. And I, I think I can turn this into something. And so that's, re- I mean, that's how it started. And so... What about this idea of being a reinvention architect? When did that occur to you? Was that while you were away? I didn't even, wouldn't even have crossed my mind because my life was such an utter mess. I mean, when right before I left prison, I didn't have employment. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have, I was no longer married. I had no money. I mean, thinking of being a reinvention architect and helping people reinvent their lives was the furthest thing from my mind. Right. That kicked in, that kicked in after I was out for years. That was about um, a little over two years ago where I put that together and said, I can use my experience to be of service to others. So, but the book you, and you went through Scribe, right? Correct. Yep. So, so you, you write the book and uh, you, you get it out and well, okay. So let's talk about these actionable tips. Uh, What did you do that you would do differently now? So this is, I mean, I know you keep these like buttoned up pretty tight. I could talk about this for like five hours because I feel that I made all the mistakes that you talk about. You know, I mean, I didn't 
I didn't have an ideal audience. I didn't have somebody I was writing for. And, you know, I give myself a little bit of grace and compassion because I was in prison and there were a lot of mitigating circumstances, but I didn't have, I just wanted to get it out. I wasn't writing to anybody. And, you know, on the second one, now I'm, I've got my person. I'm writing to Bill. I yep. know what Bill looks like. I know what Bill does. <laughs> yep. You know, I know it, I know it all lined up. Uh, that the other thing that I didn't do correctly was people would tell me, you know, it took me six years from that first word in prison to going through Scribe and getting it published last year. So I had plenty of time to do a lot of things. Everybody told me, start building up your social media. You know, I'm on Instagram. I'm a car guy. So I'm putting up pictures of cars that I see that I like. And, you know, right. I'm not doing anything. I had a hundred followers, right. did nothing to build up an audience. And I really look back at that and realize what a missed opportunity that was. I, I couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. I was like, I am writing the book and that's what I'm doing. I cannot tell you how many people do that, uh, in including me. Uh, and I do think another, uh, an offshoot of that, which I've never talked about on the podcast is building an audience, but building the wrong audience. I spent many years building an audience. It just wasn't of the people who were going to buy my books. You posting pictures of cars, probably not finding that audience. So, so Bill, what's Bill's deal? Is he, he's having a midlife crisis? He was having a midlife crisis. Bill is pre-choice Craig. So before right. I made the choice, you know, he is massively successful, but woefully unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. You know, Bill, Bill actually lives between the ages of 35 and 55. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got the C-level job or the vice president role. He's got the college, you know, he's got the white picket fence. He's got all those things, but the giant success size hole in mm -hmm. the middle of his being. Mm -hmm. And just as he's, as he's entering that second half of his life, he's starting to realize that, you know, the materialistic things are no longer cutting it. Yeah. Status, power, the next shiny object, they're not filling that hole. And he's trying to figure out how to fill that hole. And he, he's starting to feel that he wants some meaning. And he wants a sense of purpose and he wants fulfillment. And what he ultimately wants is peace and freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and what is, do you have a title? How far are you in this book? So I am, oh God, we can talk about this in my writing process and what a disaster it absolutely is. <laughs> so I've got a ton of different titles. One of them, I'm totally ripping off Stephen Pressfield, but it's just kind of for me to have a little inspiration is the, um, the battle for peace. Mm-hmm. Oh, does he, is that different than, are you ripping off the war of art or? I, I feel like it's just such, it's so oh, close. It's, it's, it's so bad. like. Oh no, the battle for peace. I like it. Um, and then a subtitle that really says who, why Bill has to buy that book. Conquering your inner struggle for inner peace and emotional freedom is kind of what I'm playing with right now. Okay. Like it's such a, I would, it's, I would workshop that. Yeah. It needs a lot. It does need a lot of work. I don't know that it needs a lot of work, but, it, you know, always be thinking about what are people searching for? Is Bill going to Amazon and going, I need to conquer my inner peace? Or is Bill going, why am I unhappy? I have everything. I right. don't know. I don't know. That's that's sort of what, what I'm thinking. Um. Okay. So how did you start to build that audience? I mean, you have over a hundred reviews on your book. So on blank canvas. So how did that happen? That happens through. So I think this is important. I actually, because I was broke after prison, I didn't have any money for Scribe. So I did yeah. a Kickstarter. Nice. So I had a bunch of people invested uh -huh. in the project 
So that well, I'm so thankful to them for a lot of the reviews. But also, it was just the moment somebody said a stranger, "Hey, I'm reading your book. Oh my God, thank you so much for investing the time and reading it. It would mean the world to me if you could leave a review. Here's why: the algorithm favors it. It can only be a sentence or two. Should take two minutes. Like really laying it out and handing it to them on a silver platter and following up as well. You know, I mean, going after them and just really being on top of it. That's I'm going to steal that as exact. That's such great wording because, you know, non-readers, we always talk about this here, but like non-readers do not understand, sorry, non-authors do not understand the importance of these reviews. Studies show it's, you know, for every 100 people who read your book to write a review. And so it and it's humbling and it's hard to keep asking people for reviews. How do you work through that? And well, I'll I'll, I'll be honest, you know, a lot of that working through the shame from prison makes asking for things really easy. Mm. Being at rock bottom and losing, in a sense, not only my freedom, but my humanity, it makes asking for a review seem really, really simple. Uh, you know, I'll be very honest. And, you know, I think there's so much great power in asking us, like, what do I need right now? You know, grounding within ourselves and saying, what do I need right now? Well, I need to muster up the courage to ask for help. And that help is going to come in the form of a review or sharing it on social media, saying, hey, you know, you're in Jamaica right now. I had a friend who was in Jamaica. And I was like, you know, he put a picture of the book up in Jamaica. And I was, you know, blank canvas in Jamaica. How cool is that? Yeah, it traveled. It's like one of those gnomes that people used to take pictures of traveling. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, okay. So it sounds like as the book was coming out, you were beginning to realize all the things, you know, because you, you got that. The reviews thing. I I got that. And that was, um, I have to give uh, Scribe also a lot of props for that. You know, they have a lot of scripts. They have a lot of education that goes along with getting those reviews and really explaining why they're important. Yeah. So that I could explain to people why they were important. You know, they, they handed it to me on a nice platter. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so what else would you do? So, so how successful would you say you've been at building this audience? You seem pretty successful at it to me. I, so we're always our worst critic. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm far short of where I'd like to be. And I think, you know, I got to, again, grace and compassion, but still always kind of pushing the pedal down. I'll tell you, um, I feel that I could tighten up quite a bit and, you know, not kissing ass here, but your work has definitely informed how I'm going to start moving forward. You know, that elevator pitch, like I didn't have, so let's talk about a big mistake. I didn't have that when I started writing the book. Yeah. I didn't have that idea. Not only did I not have the ideal reader, um, I didn't have just the elevator pitch. If somebody asked me what it was about, I would sit there and maybe ramble for five minutes, not saying anything or being like, oh, it's about my story. Yeah. You know, it ran between five seconds and five minutes, none of which actually explained what it did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I didn't have it for six books, so I, I get it. And I think what people don't understand is you need it at every stage. It's going to help you write, but it's it really is also you need it to talk about it. And, and, and really, they're so tied together, this idea of building the audience and the elevator pitch, because the crucial part of the elevator pitch is who is this for? Yeah. You know, and, and so you know, thinking about as I'm writing the second one, you know, where I am in the process, I have that elevator pitch. You know, um, I, I have the rough idea, I have Bill, and that what I actually do is I try to. I use um, Living Writer 
is oh, the I don't know soft- it. It's, pre- it's pretty good. Um, it's a little bit easier to use than like a Scrivener. You okay. know, actually, what I first do is write in Grammarly. Then okay. I cut and paste in this thing that keeps everything um, organized. But what I try to do is like, um, I will read who Bill is every single day as a reminder. I'll read the pitch as a reminder. So when I'm writing, mm. I'm like, am I in my lanes? Or am I doing what I have a propensity to do, which is go nine million ways to Sunday? Right, right, right. Oh, so every day you read the elevator pitch and a description of your avatar. Exactly. Exactly. I try doing that. I review what I wrote the day before, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like get back on track a little bit. Um, that sounds like I have a pretty decent process. But when I actually do sit down to write, I, I'm, you asked how far I'm, you know, into it. I haven't kept track, but I'm guessing I'm 500,000 words into it. And the majority of them are garbage. I would say... Um, and I, and I say this as a non outliner, I, I, you know, I really only outlined my most recent book, um, a, an elevator pitch and an outline could, could save that. So I have my outline, I have the elevator pitch yeah, and I realize yeah. when I sit down and, you know, here's something, here's something that I've learned is for me, it actually informs, um, my speaking engagements and my one-on-one coaching. So I'm actually, it's, it's getting through a lot of the garbage that I then use on stage or with my clients. Yep. So there's, there's value in it to me. It's just not yep. the most efficient process. I throw, I don't write in order. You know, I have my outline of the way I want to go. But when I sit down, I'm a firm believer in the muse. Mm-hmm. And if I sit down and that my key, my hands touch the keys and an idea comes in, I am off to the races. I don't care if it's the end of the book or the beginning or the middle, and I pay for it later because I did this with blank canvas, I had to put it all together. I had to put the puzzle pieces all together and that was a bear. I become increasingly less of a fan of the muse as time goes on. Okay. More a fan of the bricklayer because it's like, it doesn't matter what I feel like doing. This is my job. It's just, this is just what I'm thinking. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but you know, but you, you, you have to, you do you, as they say. Um, so what are you doing now? Do you have a launch date in mind for the second book? No, I don't because I'm so far away from the completion, but what I, what I do, and I can't talk about it right now, but something big is coming up on the horizon for me. So you and I will have a future conversation about this because it's something that I think would be very interesting to you. Um, but it's a compelling um, end date for me. It's a bit of a goal. This thing's up in the air, might not happen, but I would love to have it, the second book wrapped up in coordination with this event. Yep. And yep. so I do have an, so that would be about a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, a sidebar, let's take a sidebar to James Altucher. How did you get him to blow your book? So that is, wow. I mean, that could be, it's a lengthy story if you want to hear the full thing, but it's one of my favorite stories in We're the entire condense. world. We're going to condense. condense. He's amazing. Oh, he is absolutely incredible. So my my ex-wife's cousin sent me Choose Yourself. It was the first book I received in prison. And Choose Yourself legitimately helped me make it through prison. It was like such a grounding piece for me. It gave me something to do. It gave me something to look forward to, like creating this thing. So I was at an event where somebody was a Q&A and somebody raises their hand and the guy on the stage goes, for those of you who don't know, that's the producer of the James Altucher podcast. So I said, I had an opportunity to talk to him. We were both like walking to the bathroom at the same time. And I just said, hey, love the podcast. And 
choose yourself, help me through federal prison. And he goes, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And good intro. Said, good intro. And he said, the five-year anniversary is t- uh, next week. I'm inviting you and you'll meet James. So I met James and that's how our relationship started. And when I was going through the process of, do I go traditional publishing or self-publishing? I knew James was a huge proponent of self-publishing. So I shoot him a note and say, hey, do you have 15 minutes to talk about self-publishing? Because I have an idea. Why don't you come on the podcast and we'll talk about it. Oh, so we come so on the lucky. podcast. I so lucky. And so we came on, had a great conversation. And afterwards, I said, thank you so much. It'd be an honor if you could blurb my book. And he was like, my pleasure. And he's, he is one of the nicest, most genuine individuals I have ever known. I, I, yeah, I've been lucky enough to, to, I had a dinner with him. He is delightful. He has been so good to me. And I pitched him so hard on letting me come on his podcast and he's too nice to say no. So he just said, I, he is so hard to reach, but I've heard him talk about, I can't remember if it's on his podcast or it's in choose yourself, but that basically he gets so inundated with emails that like, he'll go in and like, respond to an email from five years ago to a stranger and he just randomly picks, but you know, so, so getting a hold of him, I'm friends with him. He's never given me his phone number. Like he is not an easy person to get a hold of. He is one of the hardest people to get a hold of. And I love the fact that like 10 years later, somebody gets an answer. Hey, do you want to get coffee tomorrow? 10 years later, he's like, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Hysterical. He's such a, you know, one of a kind. Um, so, okay. But, but so what you are doing, we got to get close to wrapping up. So what you are doing differently this time for the second book in summary is you, uh, you have your elevator pitch, you have your avatar, you're focused on building your audience. Is there anything else? Yes. So when I come to launch, when I have an official launch, I did an okay job on the first one on this one. I've seen a couple of friends whose books have come out recently, and I love the way that they did it, but it was a tremendous amount of video content. It was well-produced video content that didn't, and you talk about this a lot, didn't ever talk about their book, talked about what's in the book and how it adds value to people. And I love, one actually, so it's Pressfield, Stephen Pressfield, um, put your ass uh, where your heart wants to be. Mm-hmm. I love the way that he, he launched that. And then the CEO of Scribe, his latest book, the way he launched that, I thought was brilliant. And so I want to emulate it, but in my own style. You know, I don't want to um, just copy for the sake of copying. It's got to feel good for me. But I want to start building up a couple months before putting out high quality video content, not even mentioning the fact that I have a book coming out, but just saying, you know, what's the value in it? Here's the, here's how I can help you build. <laughs> I love it. So high quality means not making the videos on your phone. It means hiring somebody to shoot you and doing graphics. Like, what does that mean? High quality? That is going to be, so I think what it's going to be is a little bit of um, a hybrid in between. You know, if I can do, if I can get good lighting on my phone and I can do all that, then I will. I'm not going to, you know, totally blow the budget on the high production, but I think I will have a few where I do, I have friends who are in the industry and I'll be like, Hey, can we sit down and can we blow a few of these things out? Yep. Yep. And do you know how many videos, uh, how you're going to release them, all of those things? No, you just made, you just, I'm going to like, I can't wait to listen to this again so I can take notes. And that's one of the (laughs) things I'm going to take notes on of being like, oh, okay. When are you going to like having 
not throwing spaghetti against the wall and hoping it sticks, but having a very clear and deliberate strategy. Like every Tuesday, I launch a video, you know, or something so I can start, people start getting used to it and saying on Tuesday at noon, Craig launches a video, you know, whatever it may be. I love it. I, this is not a strategy I'm familiar with. So I really, really like it. Um, so so let's just say it's weekly videos, a combination of highly produced and let you know, and more authentic, uh, leading up to the book launch, where you are talking about the material in your book, and in a way that people watching the video can apply it, but you don't even mention you have a book. So what I think is interesting about my friend Javon, when he released his book, he was talking about being a modern leader, right? And I'm just like, wow, he is he is becoming a thought leader in the field. Like, I get it. When I think of Javon, I think of modern leader. And then one day it clicks on me and go, does he have a book coming out? Wow. And damned if it wasn't called Modern Leader. I wow. didn't even, I clicked, I, that's why I like this so much is because I connected the dots on my own. Yeah. I didn't know he was doing it. I thought that was so powerful. That is so interesting. So it's really also in, embedding the title in people's brains, which is why you really got to lay, lay on that on that title. That, and all I'm going to say is it sounds a little like too many books that already exist, as opposed to, well, no, Craig, why would you not have Reinvention Architect in your title? You ever, you ever have like those moments where somebody says something and it just all of a sudden clicks and you feel somewhat like a dummy? You have just to have, have that. You I just literally to. feel like that. I just literally felt like a dummy. But, like, but it's like that's that's it's like your subconscious has been figuring this out. You have been building that. That is you. That is what I think of when I think of you. And and there it is, because and you made that click for me with because I just figured out the title for my next book. And I now I know how I can use that and steal this video <laughs> release method. Just one final question about the videos. It, it goes on YouTube, uh, TikTok, or it doesn't really matter. It's just out there. It's it's just out there, but I think there is. So where does Bill live? You know, I think Bill lives on LinkedIn. He does. He does. You know, and so that's going to be a primary. But also, I, I don't think I can ignore. Not that Bill's there, but I don't think I can ignore TikTok. I don't think you can anymore. I don't. You know, I don't. It's just too. It's just too much of a juggernaut. I know. So you know, I'm going to have to start thinking where to put it out and also be very strategic on that. You know, I don't want to waste time because I don't want to put stuff on a channel. The more you put things on, the more you have to, if people are responding, you know, I know it's impossible to respond to everybody, but I would like to get back so I can build that audience so I can build engagement. But yeah. if I have 10 different platforms and I have people commenting on 10 different platforms, that's a lot to maintain, particularly during a launch. It is, it is. And I've been feeling like it's increasingly important I personally uh, like uh, am, am about to, I am in the process of devoting at least 50% of my time to more audience building because the business is working. We get referrals and it all works. And I have been, you know, I got to practice what I preach. And really, so I am, I was just telling my boyfriend, I put on makeup every day because I want to get comfortable with doing a video every day. I just, and whatever, I'm vain. Like, I, I want that. Um, but like, it's just to work through that discomfort and just going like, this is this is the job. The reason Glennon Doyle blew up is she had a huge online audience. Like, I do think the days of like, you know, sort of Elizabeth Gilbert, like randomly hitting or, you know, are, are, are getting fewer and fewer. And so it's like, this is the job. 
right? He's the side gig. That's what I uh, think. You know what I'm going to, I'm going to take away so many things from this, but what I'm going to take away is the a combination of the muse and the bricklayer. Yes. Because I love, I love the muse. I love when I sit down and I bet you, you can relate to this when after two hours, like you don't know where you are yeah, and you come out of the, this fugue state and you look at what you wrote and you're like, I don't even remember really writing that. You yes. know, I mean, I, I love that. And that to me is the muse, but this is a job and we do have to be bricklayers. So I'm thinking I really want to, I want to intersect those two things. And I think that for me sounds like a very powerful place to approach this from. And your new title. And my new title, thanks to you. You are good. You're so like in the acknowledgements and thanked and oh, all over this can't thing. Can't wait. Can't wait. You know, and, and I don't know if you listen to the Robert Greene episode, but he w- talked a lot about Forget the Muse. It is, it is, the muse is being self-centered and we have to be reader-centered. I love it. I'm going to listen to that one. Yes. I have not yet. I'm going to totally listen Busted. to that. Okay, Craig, this has been such a delight. Where is the best place for people to find you? CraigStanlin.com and on LinkedIn under Craig Stanlin. I love it. Thank you. And you guys, thank you as ever for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Now a request from me. If you've ever used any of the tips or techniques you've heard about from the show, please take a few seconds to give the show a rating or review and find out all about how my company, Legacy Launchpad, writes and launches books at www.legacylaunchpadpub.com. See you next week.